Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. we got a great show planned for you. Going to be talking about um, relationship fixes and later in the show we'll be doing some sex myths. Wanted to open the show first though with some interesting stats. Uh, I was working on a project and I was looking at some relationship statistics and I thought... Some of these are a little interesting. Um, I'm not going to get too deeply into the science behind them or why it is. I mean, I'll mention it a little bit, but I thought some of these were actually kind of fascinating and interesting. Um, check this one out. If you wait until you're 23 years old to commit, you're less likely to get divorced. Now, again, that's really just looking at the fact that the older we are, the more skill sets we hopefully gain and have. Um, and uh, we're more of a, 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 an evolved person. Uh, so it's not really that 23 is a really odd cutoff. It's really just, again, looking at if you do the work as you get older, you are more mature and you make better decisions and you really understand what you're looking for. I think our 20s and early 30s should be a time of a lot of casual dating to get to know who we are, work on our relationship skills. Because remember, relational skills are um, experience dependent. They're not something we just have. It's like, think of cooking. The more you cook, the better you get. The more you learn about ingredients, what works and what doesn't work, the more you're confident and comfortable you get. Um, you don't just talk about food and then just cook one time, one meal and think that you have a wide skill set. No, it doesn't work like that. So date a lot. Delay serious relationship for a while. Um, the older we get, the better our relationships should get if we're doing the work, ideally. Because um, I think back to people I was willing to date in my early 20s and 30s, and dear God, I would never date them now. But back then, that was my level of health, my level of functioning. Because remember, you're only as healthy as the people you're dating. So if you're dating really unhealthy people, well, that's your level of health as well because you're you're picking them, you're staying with them. Um, yeah, healthy people exit unhealthy dynamics. So that isn't to shame you, but that's just to say you got some work to do. You have to have a better understanding of what should I be looking for in a partner? What does a healthy partner look like? We've talked about that often on the show and then holding yourself to that. Um, so look at that. Also, they're talking about the in love phase. A stat was looking at the fact that the phase of being deeply in love only lasts about a year. Now, don't misunderstand what that means. It just means in the beginning, it's a lot of lust. It's a lot of idealizing. It's a lot of romanticizing. It's a lot of projection. And probably far sooner than a year, especially depending on how much time you spend together, the real person emerges. And then you become, you're in the working phase, the maintenance phase. And that's when trust and commitment's really demonstrated and really built. So a lot of really beautiful things come out of that. I, I know that you'll stick it out with me through things. We don't know that in the beginning. Everything's cute. Everything's amazing. But when, when all that flattens out and you're still there and you stick around and we work through some conflict, that's when trust is really built. That's when I can really buy in that my partner's in this with me. 
So there's nothing wrong with that dying off, but we need that in the beginning to get us into the relationship. Um, also ready for this one, two people can be compatible or incompatible on multiple levels. I say this all the time. Uh, just because you find someone attractive and the sex is hot or you think you want to be with them doesn't mean you have what it takes to pull it off as a couple because there's so many things that are on the line when we try to form a relationship with someone and you know sexual and aesthetic desire often just isn't enough which is why you should wait a while maybe about that one year before you make a serious commitment because you want to let that early early romanticization and fantasy die off and let the real person emerge let some conflict truly happen so you can really look at what they're like in difficult times because that is a better determinant for what it will be like in terms of the long haul with this person. Um, another study stat, this isn't really a number-based stat, but that the happiest marriages are between people that see themselves as best friends. Agreed. You have to actually like each other. If you don't have that like at the core, it's not going to buffer the other things that happen. Friendship is a key mechanism that helps explain the casual link between marriage and life satisfaction because I actually enjoy and like this person. So it helps me stay in there through difficult times. Um, I'm trying to look at what are some of the other more interesting ones. Oh, I like this one a lot too. If you get excited for your partner's good news, you'll have a better relationship. But again, that goes back to the fact that you actually care. You want them to be happy. You have empathy for them, concern for them. If you don't care about what happens to them, if you can't celebrate their successes and good news, then you have anger or resentment and you need to look at that or again, you need to release and move on. But really use that as a powerful benchmark for like what might need to be done. Um, I like this one. Resentment builds quickly in couples who don't tackle chores together. Very understandable. No one wants to feel like the, the work at home is more so on their shoulders. That should be evenly distributed you know, for everyone. Um, also, I was looking at some research that was talking about we have no true metric that can predict what couples will work. And I was laughing reading the research, which I already knew, because some of these reality shows, they tend to have these experts that can determine what couples should work, you know, would be better paired together, or whatever. We can't do that. It's far too complex of a dynamic. We know what traits we want to look for within a couple to help them have more sustainability. But as far as two separate individuals, we don't know how to pair people up perfectly. It's far more complex, which is why matchmakers themselves set people up with a multitude of people. They do their best, they guess, and then they put them together to kind of see what happens. But we can never on paper make that determinant. Um, I'm trying to think of if there's one more to kind of land on. Oh man, I love this one. Well, let's not, let's not do that one. Ah, if you're more economically dependent on your spouse, you're more likely to cheat. Sometimes that's as a result of feeling resentment. We're not empowered. All right, y'all, coming up next, though, we're going to talk about some relationship fixes. Stick around for that. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right so we're back and uh we're talking about how horrible we are (laughs) with conflict uh we don't have good role models you know again god bless i see parents losing their minds as their child is struggling and i'm like well there it is right there that is not someone training someone else how to deal with difficulty frustration or disappointment uh we watch our parents we watch them not deal with conflict well our friends television it's a mess then people end up in my office and i say to them what conflict isn't bad but your experiences of it with your family members your friends which you see on television has made us afraid of it we're phobic of it because we don't see good examples of people doing it lovingly relationally and also repairing afterwards and that's what the point is the content can't manage excuse me the content the content cannot matter more than the connectivity and the safety of the two people talking about and working through the content how you go about that matters more one of the examples i'll give my patients is i'll say to them it's almost as though i'm muting the conversation and all i'm doing is i'm watching the two of you And just even in silence, I can see whether or not you're managing this well. How? Because I'm looking at each partner, which is what you can do as well, which is why we don't deal with conflict over email or text message. It's disrespectful. That is for quick things like, honey, I'm running late. Do you want me to pick up anything at the store? Thinking about you, whatever it is. We wait till we can get home and do it face to face. And we want to look at our partner as we're having an argument or conflict to determine how well it's going. Their face will tell you. Their comfort will tell you that is your barometer. If they're looking shamed, uncomfortable, threatened, scared, or sad, you're going about it wrong. You are doing it wrong. No conflict should negatively impact the other person. Reel it in, chill it out, take a break, crank it down, do whatever you need to do. But the relationship and quality and health matters more than what it is we're talking about. The content is secondary. 
conflict's going to happen. And every time we enter it, we're training ourselves and the other person to feel safe approaching it again or, or not. And some relationships end or they hobble along with low levels of intimacy because no one's feeling safe really bringing up the things that need to be brought up. They don't feel as though conflict is dealt with well. And it's not just how we manage it, it's also how we deal with it and repair it afterwards. Ideally, no matter how hard that conversation was, it should end because it's been run well in a way where it's like, yo, that was really hard. We said some hard to hear things, but it was done with love and respect. Like let's hug and let's go get ice cream. Let's go for a walk because we have to show each other that after a conflict, we're still a unit. We can both still have hurt feelings and be angry and still also live and connect and acknowledge that we love each other at the same time. It's both. And that's shown by saying, let's hold hands and cuddle. Let's go for, uh, let's go for dinner. Let's go for a walk. Let's go for ice cream. Or let's just take an hour to ourselves and then we'll come together. But it doesn't end with us being uh, feeling as though we're enemies. It doesn't end with us feeling unsafe. It doesn't end with us feeling wounded. It ends with us feeling closer, more vulnerable, safer, more willing to do that again. And if what I'm saying doesn't sound like you, fix it now. Get into some couples therapy. Get into some individual therapy. Sit down as a couple and say, we need to manage this better. Let me tell you what I've learned. You do not have a healthy relationship if you cannot constructively and relationally work through conflict. Again, the work is not about never having conflict. That is not the goal. Get that out of your mind. Never say we shouldn't be fighting or we shouldn't be fighting about this. Yeah, you should. What you should hold yourself accountable to and your relationship and your partners, we should fight and deal with these issues better, more lovingly. We've talked on the show about how to do a little bit of emotional regulation. So let me run through that very quickly. This is what an adult conversation sounds like. Hey, honey, I don't like the way I'm starting to feel. I don't like the way I'm starting to talk to you. I need a minute to, to get my breath or I need a minute to step away and regulate. We're tracking ourselves because we're paying attention to ourselves, but we're also watching how we're impacting our partner and they're reflecting back to us how well we're doing. And we're right-sizing everything. Does the severity of this topic warrant the response I'm giving it? If it's a disappointment or a frustration we're talking about, like the garbage or something, that that's like a level two or level three. Chill out. And if you're not feeling at the right level, you are not ready to start that conversation or that conflict. Yeah, we're learning how to work with ourselves. That is one of the hardest things to get a client in, in my private practice to do is to learn how to work with themselves. Because we'd rather just blame everybody else. We'd rather just be like, relationships are difficult. And it's like, no, no, they're actually not. They're complex, they're nuanced. We learn about ourselves. But work with yourself, learn how to be better, learn how to use these relational moments as an opportunity to get a better relationship with yourself first, to track yourself, to see how you're landing on people. Singledom, as hard as it can be in some ways, is the easiest psychological position in that we're not forced to go up against ourselves and our stuff because that is what comes up within relationships. It's shocking to see how people's functioning can drop at those points. That is where a mirror is being held up and we're like, wow, look at all the work I have to do. So again, conflict is a powerful opportunity for you to learn about yourself, your partner, and your relationship and where your work is. No conversation with someone you love that you're in a committed relationship with should end in them feeling harmed or hurt. You can express disappointment, frustration, and anger in a way that makes it safe for them to stay connected to you as you're talking about it. And even if they're feeling a little bummed out afterwards, they still feel safe holding your hand and going and getting ice cream. If that is not what your story looks like, you're doing it wrong. 
We should not be having blowouts. We should not be having fights where someone's sleeping in a different room or needing to leave the house. You are doing it wrong. One of you is completely dysregulated and one of you is not doing your part. It should never be like that. As we say all the time, you should be coming in with it a little bit of every argument. You should come in a little bit, having worked with it, a little bit of it digested and it coming down at a low number. We don't come in hot. And if you're coming in hot, you're not ready. And I see examples of people all the time, let themselves off the hook being like, I just need to say it. I just need to tell it like it is. I, I don't care what the framework is. We don't start those things that way and we don't run them that way. And again, this is an opportunity for us to learn how to work with ourselves. Sit with that. Whatever I'm saying that's hard for you, it's where your work is. All right, coming up next, we can keep talking about this. Then we're going to do some DMs, and then we're going to get to some sex stuff. We're going to talk about uh, some sex myths, some interesting stuff, stuff that needs to be corrected that's gone on way too long. So stick around for that. Drop a question if you got it for us in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. But we'll be back, so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. All right, y'all, talking about conflict. Nothing wrong with it. In fact, it gives us an opportunity to grow, to be better, to learn where our work is, to learn where our soft spots are. We are tracking ourselves, keeping it at an appropriate level, and if not, stepping away. And part of what helps us stay in check and in line is we're looking at the person we're talking to. And their level of safety and comfort is what's communicating to us how well we are doing. And based on that, we make decisions as to whether or not we need a moment to ourselves, whether or not we need to chill out, whether or not we need to come back to this conversation. Be aware of yourself. Grow up. It's time to be an adult. I don't care how old you are. Be better. Be better. No, no relationship should end as a result of conflict or a fight. We should be ending it in some form of resolve. We talked about that in the earlier segment. But that's important because that's where we actually show how committed we are. That's, a, that's, that's, that's an act of trust, commitment, and love. All of those three things, the three most important things in a primary committed, secure relationship, commitment, trust, and love are all demonstrated by how we start run and end conflict. And if you have no problem coming in hot, hurting the other person and making them uncomfortable, and then ending it with a harsh ending where no one feels good, that is a lack of trust that is being built. In fact, it's eroded. That is not an expression of love because love never harms or hurts. And it is absolutely you stepping outside of your commitment because the commitment you make in a primary secure relationship, and if you don't want that and you want something casual or harmful, you do you. But for those of us that are adults and want a healthy adult relationship, one of the commitments we make is you are in my care. When we make that commitment for exclusivity, marriage, boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever the committal framework or label is, the commitment you are making is you are in my care and I'm in your care and we will treat each other fragilely. Trust is built when I know I can talk to you about difficult things and you will be caring for yourself and me through the duration of that. And again, love is never violent, love is never painful and love never hurts. If we are doing something that harms another person, we have stepped outside of love and it is not an expression of that. So that is the trifecta, commitment, trust and love that is demonstrated and either reinforced or eroded at during times of conflict and distress. And a lot of marriages and relationships don't honor those things because again, we haven't been taught about those things. A lot of us don't know. And that's what I'm trying to educate people on. One of the most important things of my job is educating. A lot of psychoeducation happens with my patients in my private practice saying, let me talk to you about what trust really is. Let me talk to you what commitment really looks like. Let's discuss whether or not that was an act of love. Conflict is going to be prevalent. It's going to happen with two distinct people try to come together and form a unit. Expect people to push on each other's boundaries and comfort. 
how we manage that is what we, how we communicate, what, what, what kind of level of health we're going to have in this relationship. And if all this seems foreign to you, maybe take a break and work on it, get into some individual therapy, read some books on what this stuff is about. Cause again, I think these terms are slung around, but very misunderstood. Um, cause remember, you know, the, the signifier for me of a healthy relationship is when each partner comes into my office and they say, let me tell you what I was proud of this week. And let me tell you where I let myself down this week by not being a good partner or person. And they're calling themselves out because they're self-aware. That's what self-awareness looks like. And I'll start sessions by saying, you tell me what kind of partner or person you were this week. I don't want to hear from your partner because if you're that unaware of yourself, then we have a bigger problem. You need to build in self-awareness. You are impacting the people that are a part of your life especially the primary people that are in your life, your children, your best friends, family members, your primary partner. Because in a healthy relationship, we become a we and an us. It's a regression. That's right. Just like parent and child, we, we fuse. We fuse. We become codependent. Our nervous systems and our brains wire. Codependence is a healthy part, neuro, interpersonal neurobiologically, of a primary secure attached relationship. That is what you seek. You are thinking for two people. What you do impacts them and what they do impacts you. You do infect each other with emotions. You do make each other feel things powerfully. We have shared meaning. We have a shared identity. And as I say all the time, if you're, the result of your conflict doesn't end with both of you mutually beneficially, how do I say that? If the conflict doesn't end which with a mutual I can't say that word. If it doesn't mutually benefit both of you, I so badly wanted to make it conjugated in the other direction. But if the outcome is not mutually beneficial, then you have not reached the end of your discussion or you haven't reached the best solution. Both of you walk away as winners in a primary secure relationship. It is never competition and it is never me versus you. We are both looking out for ourselves and each other. And that is a healthy form of interdependence mutually beneficial solutions and resolves. If only one person wins, then we are we have not finished. And that is not the right way to do it because that is not an act of commitment, that is not, not an act of trust, and that is not an expression of love. We are looking out for each other. It's a wean in us. We're in each other's care. We don't think separately. Self-interest doesn't exist. Think about it. We are literally a financial unit. We are literally an emotional unit. We live together and share space, limbic resonance, Mirror neurons, social contagion, interpersonal neurobiology, attachment theory. These are all powerful, empirically validated resources that help us understand how much we fuse and bond in primary partnerships. We got to take it more seriously. Coming up next, we're going to do some DMs and then we're going to swoop into some sex stuff. So put the kids to bed, put the ear pods in, the earphones, whatever you need to do, turn it down, turn it up. I don't know. It might be actually good for your kids to learn a little bit about sex. I'm not mad at it, but stick around. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around because we will be right back. All right, y'all, now we're back. Time to uh, slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my best friend constantly complains about her other friend, how she's a bad person, doesn't care about their friendship, and how I'm the much better friend, which I hate being compared. The other night, I got kind of frustrated, told her that she needs to do something about it or stop talking about it. I also said if she says this stuff to me about her, then I'm sure it's the other way around. I know as a friend, I'm supposed to be there for her through everything. 
<sighs> Am I just being irritable setting this boundary? No, we don't always want to be the receptacle for someone else's negativity and complaining. Look, we want to be there for our friends to help regulate them, to help support them. They can borrow functioning from us. Uh, we can offer advice. We can be solution focused. We can hold space for what they're going through. We can mirror and reflect back their worth and value. But no, we don't need to be a uh, trash can for their unprocessed vomiting. And that's what that is. To just complain about someone isn't meaningful. It's not constructive. Um, it's not intimacy. It's just really stressing and burning us out. So I think it's appropriate for you to lovingly say, hey, listen, if you want to talk about a solution, if you want to talk about anything you know, positive and constructive, I'm here for you. But you can say, it sounds like you're ruminating. You're just kind of spinning your wheels. And that isn't fun or feeling good to me. And bigger than that, if someone has an issue, we want to have what we call a one-to-one -one relationship. Go to the person you have an issue with. Otherwise, you're a part of the problem because you're allowing it to pertain. Uh, you're allowing it to uh, persist and to um, maintain in motion. Um, so, yeah, I think it's good for you to send them back to the original person. I can't help you. They have a right to know how you feel, and they have a right to be a part of that solution. I think it's very unfair to have uh, to withhold from another person a concern you might have about them because they're not allowed to be a part of the solution. You're removing that choice. And so there's something very unkind in that. And then to take that complaint to another friend who can't do anything about it repeatedly, nah, that's no good. We wanna be there to help co-regulate, which means the other person does some of the work themselves, but if they just come to us to do it for them, no. And like I said, we don't need to just be on the receiving end of negativity. Um, so there's a huge difference and what you're doing is actually healthy for you and healthy for them. You're not helping them ruminate, you're helping them build skills and you're taking care of yourself. So there's a lot in that actually for us to all learn, like for such a simple question, I think there's a hefty lot of, um, skills and, and gems in there. So really kind of sit with that. What are you bringing to your friends? What are you contributing to their life? What kind of stuff are you dragging in? Your friends have a life that's in motion. They have their own concerns and struggles. So take digested, reasonable, meaningful material to them. You know what I mean? Work through things, talk things out. But to just vomit on them, that's just not right. And I don't want partners to have to deal with that either. You know, again, there's a difference between healthy intimacy and emotional sharing. There's a difference between that and like I said, just undigested, unprocessed emotional vomiting, which isn't healthy for anyone. And your friend, and I'm saying this to the author of this question, isn't being a good friend to the friend that they're upset with because like I said, they're not taking the issue to them so they can be a part of solving it or fixing it. So your friend is just kind of keeping that problem going. You know what I mean? And I hate when I see that. I see that in couples in my office where someone never brings up or brings in a concern, lets it go too far, gets resentful and angry, and then just wants to leave the relationship. Well, that actually says a lot more about that person than it does about the one they're upset or complaining about. And again, healthy people are aware of how they're impacting others. And that's my biggest concern in this question. Is this other person, the complainer, is negatively impacting the author of the question and the person they're complaining about? But yet, thinks the issue is the person they're complaining about, but it's them. They have really bad relational skills, really low emotional intelligence. This whole dynamic reeks of that. This person's very unaware. And so I think it's important for you to kind of hold a mirror up and say, let me help you understand what's happening here lovingly. And a healthy friend will be like, thank you for pointing that out. Thank you for being constructive with me. Thank you for you showing me how to be a good friend by letting me know what you're frustrated with. 
right? The author of this question, I don't want them to do the same thing that their friend they're complaining about is doing about the person they're complaining about. Like one of you in this three person dynamic needs to be a good friend by being transparent with how they feel about being on the receiving end or part of all of this. So um, help them clean that up. All right, y'all got a question for us, topic you want us to hit, something you want us to circle back, drop deeper into, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. We love hearing from you. More to come. So don't go anywhere. Stick around. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around, y'all, because guess what? We'll be right back. All right, y'all, we are back and uh, going to talk about some sex stuff. We're going to talk about some sex stuff and some sex myths and some sex misinformation that we don't talk enough about. We really need to normalize it. Sex. We have a lot to unlearn and relearn. Same thing with relationships. Same thing with mental health. Um, a lot of problematic thinking out there. Um, so let's break it on down. Uh, first thing is that um, what you see in porn is not what it really looks like. And I know we know this, but at the same time, we don't. Because I still hear people internalizing what they're seeing in porn. Because for a lot of people, porn is the only or the, the most frequent place that they see sex happening. Otherwise, you're just left with your own experiences or what you've been told or seen in a movie. I don't know, right? So some people have never seen other naked people of the same gender, maybe, or even a lot of naked people of the opposite gender. And so we go off of what we see. And porn is a specific type of person that is hired. Um, they are essentially a sexual gladiator. They are able to perform and have pronounced anatomy in ways that the bulk of us don't. Um, more importantly, you don't get to see the behind the scenes, the failures, the pills that are needed to be taken to maintain arousal, the injections, um, things going wrong, discussion of boundaries, hygiene stuff. None of that is shown. Why? Because porn is entertainment. We don't watch a movie and go, oh, well, wow, what, what a bad educator. That movie didn't really express how to best drive your car down the freeway. It shows cars doing flips and popping off the freeway. It's like we hold porn more accountable than we do other forms of media. We have you know, no problem with kids you, you know, playing video games or blowing people's heads off or car wrecks and car chases. And we're like, that's fine. They know better. But then we like look at porn and we're like, well, teach them porn literacy. Kids at all ages are encountering it. You yourself need to know this, that that is not what it really looks like. Those are actors, just like actors in films do not look and act the way the rest of us do. And they have skills that we don't have and we're not supposed to have. It's entertainment. Don't take it as seriously, which is also why I tell people to watch diverse porn. Watch some queer porn, which has fat bodies, skinny bodies, hairy bodies, hairless bodies, big penises, small penises large labia, small labia, women with body hair, women without body hair, women with large breasts, stretch marks, same sexed, opposite sexed. Watch all of it. Watch some feminist porn, which isn't about the male gaze, G-A-Z-E, which is made by men for men. Look at feminist porn, which is actually going to be more realistic. Same thing with queer body positive porn, where you see all sorts of bodies, natural, not enhanced, not specific, not targeted, not exclusionary, but the opposite, inclusive creative and diverse that will normalize challenge yourself to watch very diverse porn with all different shapes and body sizes. And you will realize that your, your arousal is more plastic and fluid and creative than you even thought, but it's better for your psyche because you're tying arousal to different kinds of bodies. Um, cause that is not how it looks. And we say we know that, but I still hear people coming to my office thinking I should get hard and stay hard on demand as long as I need to. Nope, penises don't work that way. We will always be disappointed, but we don't have many experiences of seeing that. People will want you to discuss with them what you're interested in. 
you no mind reading, no assumptions. You also need to check in on your partner. How's that feeling? Are you enjoying that? I still work with some adults that think their partner should know what they like. No, speak up. You need to tell them. I tell them to worry about their own pleasure, to focus on how they're impacting their partner, but to go after what feels good to them. And we communicate what we need. Stay there. Do more of that. Do less of that. And also aftercare. Bonding and connecting afterwards. So there's not a harsh stop after all that bonding and intimacy. Because even if it's with a random fling whose name you don't know in the dark, there's still intimacy built. It's still human beings coming together. Um, also, there's a sense of like good sex is supposed to be hard and fast and goes on for a long time. I want people to engage in varied amounts of sex where it's some quickies, some longer forms of play where it's just about fun. There's no right way or wrong way. We enter it with an openness saying, we're going to see where we go and what happens. We're always changing up the patterns and habits. We've talked a lot about that. As I'm saying this, I'm looking at a couple different um, articles. Um, I love this one. This is something that someone pointed out that orgasms aren't always going to be the same, that they can be varied in the intensity where we feel them, the length of time that they exist. Really beautiful. But we tend to get into patterns and habits because of our anxiety and we don't really play. We don't really wander. You know, a really beautiful exercise I have my patients do is body mapping where I'll have them go home and draw a picture of their body. It can just be a stick figure. And I say to them, what parts of your body do you let be touched? What parts of your body will you not let be touched? What parts of your body will you let your partner see? What parts of your body do you want to hide? Look at how limited that might be. Some people, they're like, what? Wide open anywhere. And I'm like, cool, good on you. But other people, they're like, it's very limited what I'll allow to be touched, to be seen to be engaged. And I'll say to them, that's the limits of yours and your partner's sexuality. Their limits are your limits if you're in a monogamous relationship. And if not, they're still limited in that moment. And you might be perpetuating some body shame on your end or their end. And our whole body has the capacity of giving us pleasure, not just our genitals. But we get so obsessed with doing sex right, which we think means penises and vaginas and penetration and always orgasm. And that's not always possible. And that's also very boring. So maybe do that exercise, go home and think about your body or draw a picture of it and say, what are the areas that I allow and don't allow? And why, why, what is that about? And do I want to honor that? All right, coming up next, we're going to keep talking about this sex things to bust through and push on. Um, and then later in the show, we'll be doing some DMs. So stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris, Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be right back. All right, y'all, we're back talking about some sexual myths. Uh, how about this one? Our bodies make noises. Stop trying to have perfect sex. The best sex is when we're letting our bodies do whatever they do. We're getting wet. We're getting sweaty. We're not worrying about how we look or what noises we're making. We're even vocalizing. We're saying, mm, yeah, that feels good right there. Blah, blah, blah. That is the most honest, liberated sex. And if you're not doing it like that, ask yourself why. It's probably sex or body shame rooted in whatever that might be fear of sex and bodies, fear of not being perceived the right way or attractive. Sex is one of those moments where we can have such a deep level of intimacy because of how honest it is. It's where we're supposed to leave all those inhibitions behind us. But a lot of people get hung up on how they're looking, how they're sounding, how they want to be perceived. Oh my God, you know how stiff and horrible and robotic that sounds? So really think about that. Like, what are the edges you need to push on? Um, also, your mind may and probably will wander. I've had clients come in saying, 
I'm not always focused on my partner when I'm having sex. And I say to them, of course not. And they're like, what do you mean? Of course not. And I say, well, a thousand reasons. Number one, no matter how much we love or are attracted to our partner, we're going to be thinking about other things at times and our minds wander. Allow that. There's nothing wrong with that. What would be wrong with that? We can't always stay focused on whatever is in front of us. That's the beauty of sexuality, letting our minds and our hands and our bodies wander. Don't get hung up on thinking, if I'm having sex with my partner and I love them, I have to be focused on them. And if you, and also the inverse, don't get so hung up on whether or not you think your partner is totally checked in or tuned into. Let them be in their moment because there's different forms or structures of sex. Sometimes it is about our partner. And it is about seeking deeper connection. And we are looking at them and we are experiencing it with them. Other times we're more self-focused. We're in our own bodies and we're disconnected from our partner to an extent. And we're focusing on how it feels good to be in that moment with them. But it's more focused on what we're feeling internally. It's not so outwardly focused. That's okay as well. And then other times we're more fantasy driven where we're not even in the room with ourself, our partner at all. We've wandered somewhere else. And what a beautiful thing to have access to. There's nothing wrong with any of those modes. Healthy sex is not about just be having sex with your partner. Healthy sex is, I mean, again, healthy sex is really about sex that doesn't harm anyone. And there's no harm in anything we're talking about. What form that takes is going to differ. But there are some really bad definitions of what, health, of what healthy sex is. Like some people say healthy sex only takes place in a committed relationship. Now that's the biggest joke I've ever heard because even within a committed relationship, sex can be had for the wrong toxic reasons, such as that's all we have. I'm afraid to acknowledge we have a really crappy relationship without it. I'm only doing this to keep you happy, et cetera, et cetera. Please don't think that within a committed relationship, that makes everything okay. And most of us aren't having sex within committed relationships. Okay, we have the highest rate of singledom. Most people are having sex because it's fun, because it's about empowerment, because it feels good, because we make friends that way, because it's entertaining, because maybe it's even our job. And there's nothing wrong with that. So many different ways to approach it. Honor all of them. Um, another one I want to I want to talk about, and it's kind of like a little bit of a divergence off, is remember that when someone is open to bringing you into their sexuality, into their private sex life by having sex with you, even if it's just the discussion about what we might do, they are really taking a risk. I want us to honor the vulnerability in that moment and not shame someone for liking what they like or for being who they are sexually. That is a very violent act. And especially if you're in a committed primary relationship, that's that's very sexually and emotionally abusive. That's sexual abuse. That is a form, I'm being very clear. Hear me say this. It is a form of sexual abuse and also psychological, psychological and emotional abuse, but primarily sexual abuse to mock, shame, or put down someone's arousal, period. And I see partners do that. That's gross. That's disgusting. Moms don't do that. A good husband wouldn't do that. And the person saying all that is being sexually abusive and psychologically and emotionally abusive because they're uncomfortable with what they were just told. Well, guess what? Go deal with your discomfort. That's not your partner's job. They're vulnerably, lovingly gifting you with who they are. You're not safe. So I always say, be make sure your partner's mature enough to hear who you are sexually. And if not, you got a lot of work to do and so do they. Don't be with people that are sexually abusive like that. 
And remember, if someone shames another person by saying that person's slutty, that person's sexually deviant, they're talking about themselves. And what they're saying is they're saying, I'm not comfortable with what I'm being told. And I don't know how to manage that or deal with that. And so I'm acting it out and, and projecting it on you. Don't take that bait. Say to them, you seem uncomfortable and you're acting that out. This isn't safe or appropriate. It's abusive. And I'm going to go. And you walk away. Don't let people shame you sexually ever. Just like don't let people shame your body. Your whole purpose in life is not to be attractive to your partner. You don't have to maintain a certain shape for them. You're allowed to keep the post-pregnant baby weight on. You're allowed to have a healthy, natural aging body and have wrinkles and cellulite. You don't have to go to the gym forever. You don't have to maintain the body that you have when they first met you. That's part of commitment and trust is that you will allow me to be who I am through my entire life cycle. My whole job isn't to be your sex toy. I don't have to look attractive to you at all times. Yes, I want us to always stay in the courtship cycle, which is doing what we need to do and try to feel erotic for ourselves at all stages and sizes and weights. And yes, we wanna understand that if we're in a monogamous relationship, then our partner's limits and our limits are each other's limits. But our main goal and only goal in life is not to maintain attractiveness. And attractiveness needs to have fluidity. And that's evidenced by allowing ourselves to be where we are. And if you're a fan of porn, which most people are, and yes, women do watch porn, is by watching diversified porn. So as to diversify your arousal. But understanding that we're having sex with human beings and that it's not always going to be ideal. It's both. We have to hold both. Our bodies are going to change based on a multitude of factors. And we don't need to have shame around that. And we don't need to vocalize to another person how we feel about that. We work with what is. We work with the human that is before us. We're not always going to have exactly what we want or have things ideal. Injuries happen. Medications happen. Disabilities happen. Aging happens. Pregnancy happens. That's life. All right, and we're going to be back and we're going to keep talking about this and then we're going to do some DMs. So uh, don't go anywhere. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey, and we will be right back. Oh, Rachel, we're back talking about some uh, sexuality, doing a little sex ed, busting some sex myths. Remember, a lot of the things that we're calling disorders or dysfunctions aren't. It's that we just don't really understand how healthy sex works or how bodies work. Talk about this all the time. Erections don't work on demand. They are going to disappoint us and let us down. That is not a dysfunction or a disorder. That is how a healthy penis works. It's not always going to do what we want. And as we age, it'll get hard less often and it'll stay hard for shorter periods of time and our erections won't be as robust. That's normal. That's healthy. That's natural. That's why we have fingers, tongues, toys. That's why we learn how to have sex that isn't always dependent upon erections and penetration. For same-sex partners, we don't always even want penetration. Some people are sides. They're not a top. They're not a bottom. Some people don't like penetrative sex. Some people, the relationship's more affectionately based. It's not even about penetration at all. So remember that. But then there's also this part about sometimes our bodies are communicating what we won't or can't verbally, what we don't know yet, what we don't feel safe saying. So let's talk about painful penetration. Painful penetration during sex is sometimes your body saying, I'm not aroused or I'm not interested, or I'm not turned on by this person, or I don't feel safe letting this person literally enter me because they're abusive, because they're not nice, because they put me down. So could there be something physically present? Of course. Often, is it psychologically based? 100%. Yeah, most of it is. Same thing with erectile issues, erectile disappointments. I don't use the word erectile dysfunction because most of the time it's just a disappointment. We have to learn how to be confident with that frequent disappointment. It is rarely not a medical condition, especially if you're waking up with erections or doing fine when you're having solo sexuality and masturbating. 
If it only shows up with your partners, well, there you go. It's born out of anxiety around the relationality or you're not turned on or you don't feel safe, you don't feel confident, whatever it is. Painful penetration could be another form of that or low to no sexual desire. Is the sex worth wanting? Is your partner worth having desire for? No, you shouldn't always want sex or naturally desire your partner. I wanna understand why maybe you don't. Maybe it's very appropriate or healthy that you're like, I'm not turned on by them anymore or right now, or no, I'm not interested in sex with them. So before you jump to conclusions and try to just override and ignore your body, be a little more body positive by saying, let me listen to what my body might be communicating that my brain needs to catch up with. There might be something else going on relationally or within one of our lives or both of our lives that we're not talking about, but sex isn't letting us off the hook. Also, your sexuality can shift and change. As we get older, we're often more willing and more likely to really step into our more radically honest and authentic sexual selves. It's a beautiful thing. Because as our aging bodies occur and we don't lubricate as much, we need a lot more lube because lube, lube, lube is always your friend sexually, especially as we age and our erections aren't what they used to be. <clears throat> that's gonna shift and that's gonna change. And we have to be open to all that, all these other things that are under the gigantic umbrella of what is sexuality. It is not just penetration and it is not just orgasms. And that's why we're not shaming each other's sexuality. We're seeing it as a really vulnerable personal gift that's given to us and we take it seriously. Because remember, as I was saying in the earlier segments, when you're in a committed primary relationship, you're in each other's care, and this is a part of it. I don't want us to be around people that shame our bodies or shame our sexualities. We want to be in partnership with people that are supportive of that, and they welcome knowing us fully and knowing us deeply, but there's a maturity that's required, and then we can push on extending sex to include our whole body and to include things that we traditionally didn't feel comfortable or confident asking for. And we can allow for disappointments and frustrations with penetration and erections or not orgasming the way we want. You orgasm too fast, there's no right speed. Too fast for what? There is no right speed. You can't come too fast. You can't take too long. Too long for what? Your patience? It's that some of that's up to our nervous system. Some people have a very sensitive nervous system and they ejaculate very quickly or they orgasm very quickly. Other people, maybe they're not relaxed enough or they're not turned on enough or they don't feel safe enough or they have a less sensitive system and it takes longer. These aren't disorders or dysfunctions. They're disappointments or you just have to learn how to have more confidence in the way that you function. I wanna normalize the diversity that exists. But in order to do that, we have to have a partner that's not making a problem out of something that isn't. So sometimes we have to educate ourselves and then educate our partner saying, that happens, that is normal. Expect more of that, work with that. Don't shame me for that. Couples shouldn't get upset at erectile issues or penetrative issues. There's no one or nothing to be mad at. That is part of life and humanity. And again, as I said in the earlier segments, how we manage conflict and disappointment means more than actually resolving the content of the issue itself. How we manage it, how we talk about difficulties is what is going to further build trust, love, and commitment or eat away at it. It all counts. And sex is often relegated as though it's some special thing off to the side, doesn't matter as much, discounted, different rules apply. No. No, do the work. It's an important part of relationships, especially if you're in a committed romantic one. Um, all right, coming up next, we're gonna do some DMs. So uh, you all know the drill. If you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. That's questions you got. As we're helping you out answering it, we're helping others, always anonymous, always confidential. Put them in there. Topics you want us to hit, maybe there's something you want us to circle back, drop deeper into, or something we haven't hit before. 
Put that in the DMs on our Loveline IG page and past episodes of the show. Check them out over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline and click on it. You can binge, post, re-listen, and share. Lots of good stuff because we got to unlearn and then relearn. It's all about that repetition. Stick around though, we'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Modelo, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, y'all, we are back, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, Hey, Dr. Chris, first off, really love your show and everything you stand for especially your advocacy for sex work thank you thank you i'm all about sex worker rights um back to your question though you said last week i met a sex worker for the first time and what they were talking about kind of made me think they said that they had a partner for five years but needed to be single for the industry they also said that they date in the industry for the aesthetic of it and that their partner doesn't know about it but that they love their partner. Is the dating life of a sex worker always like this? Well, honestly, you'd have to ask sex workers. I, I absolutely don't want to speak for them. Um, just like any population of individuals, just like any career, there's going to always be some norms, some standards, and then also, of course, a lot of outliers and exceptions. Um, <clears throat> you know, the idea that you have to be single for the industry, um, I don't know, that bums me out. I, I want to believe that every industry holds space for people to be in a relationship. And yes, yeah, sex workers are married. Sex workers can be dating. Sex workers can be parents. Um, they're humans. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like saying, can an actor, does an actor need to be single for their job? Well, sometimes because they might travel a lot, they might have a very busy schedule, um, et cetera, et cetera. And so sex work is no different. You know, it really depends on how often they're working, what kind of work they're doing. Uh, sure, are there careers in which, like I said, people are very busy and very tired and not really want to put time and energy and focus into a relationship? Sure, but sex working doesn't have to be any different. I mean, remember, all jobs are body labor, all of them. There's not one job that doesn't involve the use of your body for someone else to make money off of you. Every single job, if you're, if you're an employee, 
the people at the top are making money off of your body labor. Whether you are um, cleaning houses and hotel rooms, whether you are driving a truck, whether you are an athlete or a dancer, whether you're an actor or a model, whether you're a therapist, people, you are literally selling your body for your living. Doctors, singers, all of us, we're using our body for our job. My clients are renting out part, are renting out and, and using my nervous system, my psyche, yeah, they're, they're, they're impacting my body. My body is a huge part of it, just like every career. And this one, and, and sex work is no different. It's just that it involves eroticism, but so does modeling. So do sex scenes for actors and actresses in films. Um, it might not be penetrative, but it is performative. And um, all sorts of careers are about using our eroticism. So again, it really depends on the person. It really depends on the relationship and it really depends on kind of who they are. Um, but yeah, it's a very stigmatized industry. And so for some sex workers, they, they don't want to necessarily have to deal with that, the anxiety and the stigma from others. And so they maybe only date within. But again, a lot of industries are like that. It's really hard for some people outside of certain industries and jobs to understand what it's like. I'm in no way comparing my job to sex work, but I know that I get tired of building intimacy. I get tired of communication and emotional expression. And so if I'm in a relationship with someone, I also, after a long day, sometimes don't want to step into what's required in my job. And I want something quiet, maybe fun, maybe easy. And maybe sex work can be that way as well, where if their profession involves sexuality, they might not always want to come home and engage in that, but then often many do as well. So it really depends on the performer themselves. And like I said, so many other factors, but I like your question. Um, you know, but you'd have to ask different sex workers their experience. And most likely as many as you ask is as many of different experiences you'll hear, you know? Um, but it's definitely an industry that we need to stop stigmatizing. It definitely needs to be decriminalized. Adults should not be punished, punished for what they choose to do with their bodies. Drugs also need to be made legal so people can get treatment if they need treatment. And if not make adult decisions about what they do with their body and what they put in it, you know? So there's a lot of work to be done in that way. Um, but we're here for it because we're all about what? Mental health, we're all about sex positivity, we're all about body positivity, and we're all about you know, everyone getting the rights and the care that they need. No human, is with it, no human is undeserving of respect and care, basically. Everyone has that you know, worth inherently built in because they're a person. Um, all right, y'all, if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page, questions, topics, things you want us to circle back to, drop deeper into. We love hearing from you, so put them in there. And past episodes of the show, always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for Loveline and click on it. You can binge, post, re-listen, and share. Lots of great stuff. It's all about the repetition. So uh, take me on a little bit of a journey with you and uh, check it out. Also, check out some of the other shows while you're there. Spend the rest of your night, though, focused on self-care, joy, pleasure, and rest. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out. We'll be back tomorrow. Have a good rest of your night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs> 